If you got to a stage in life where you were able to consider turning your hobby into a profession, how would you go about it? And what planning approach would you take to help it be successful? We'll hear a great example of that today. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. It's Ian Cleverdon here and welcome to my podcast series designed to help anyone who is looking for inspiration to develop their creative skills, whether professionally or as a hobbyist. For this series, our focus is the creative arts. I'm interviewing musicians, songwriters, authors, actors, and also speaking to some in the directing and strategic management fields of this wide-ranging industry. All of my guests have been carefully chosen, as each one of them has a very interesting backstory from which we can all learn. If you're new to the series, please follow it on whichever streaming platform you use and go back to have a listen to the rich archive of over 30 interviews and compilations. Now, I've been making a habit recently of having interviews spread over two episodes because there's been so much great advice shared by my guest mentors, and today's guest is no exception. John Watterson is known for two main roles in the creative arts. He's the programme director for a number of music festivals run by a company called Harmony Voyages, and is perhaps more widely known as Fake Thackeray, the artist who keeps alive the wonderful material of the much-missed songwriter and storyteller, the late Jake Thackeray. However, before starting both of these artistic careers, John spent many years working as a senior manager for a laundry firm. In his first episode, John shares with us his career journey and how he turned his love of Jake Thackeray's work into a successful performing career around the UK. In the next episode, John will share his advice on how to plan a concert series or festival programme. This series is completely ad-free and independent of sponsorship. So if you'd like to sponsor the series or just throw in a few virtual pennies into the bowl to keep us going in green tea and digestives, please feel free to do so by donating online via the link in the show notes. And thank you in advance if you do. And so to the interview. I sat down with John recently at his home in Yorkshire. John Watterson, welcome to Half Hour Mentor. Thank you very much. I want to start with a question I ask all my guests is that looking back to your teenage years, uh, that all that time ago, you might say. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What was the first job or career that you wanted to pursue and, and why? That's an interesting one. There was never any ambition for a particular job. I was uh, one of four children brought up by a widowed mother on, on benefits on the, on the Isle of Man, which is where I grew up. And so the focus really, childhood and teenage years, was all about doing well at school. That was, that was mum's push. That was what sort of drove her right. um, very intelligent woman but not of the generation that ever got to university uh, and I was the, the, the first of, of the next generation down to be able to, to, to go to university so that was the, that was the ambition to, to do well at school and go on to university there was never a particular want to be a, a train driver or a, an astronaut there was there was never a specific ambition right so what was your path then did you get to university got to university I um I, I took maths physics and German a level and that was discouraged at school because in those days you were either supposed to be arts 
or science. And so to have somebody who was doing maths, physics, and then a, a, a modern language, as it was called, that was frowned on and I was discouraged. But again, my mother said, no, if that's what, you, if that's what you're good at and that's what you want to do, do that. And they were the three subjects I was interested in um, and got the necessary grades in those to go on to, uh, to university. Again, there was no driving, I want to be this when I grow up. So the, the course that appealed most was a business course. So I did business administration and, and German at university to keep the language going because I, uh, I enjoyed that. Great. Well, what was the first job you went into then, post-university? Yeah, post-university. Um, it was a sort of bit of accidental stumble. I'd, I'd written a number of generic application letters. You know, the DSR, I'd love to work for your company, blah, 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 yeah. from university. Uh, and I had a stack of these. This was obviously in the days before uh, word processors. And so I had these, these, these were handwritten. Um, I had met Carol, who was uh, to become my wife and still is. Uh, at university and uh, we were living in Stoke-on-Trent doing a bit of a sort of part-time job there and she posted off a letter to an advert she'd seen in the Telegraph uh, to a company called Spring Grove, never heard of them, but went down to do the the interview and uh, wasn't it easy to prepare or research a company. I mean, now you just go onto Google, put in the company's name, you just get loads of information. In those days, pre-internet and pre-all that, it was very difficult. So I, I went down for this interview down Henley-on-Thames, uh, very ill-prepared, not really sure what the company did, uh, but had a lovely, relaxed interview conversation with the personnel director there and got onto their management training scheme. So it was a bit of a, a stumble. They were an industrial services and laundry company. Um, and I hit lucky because they had a really good management training program that allowed you to look at customer service and sales and production. And you spent six months in each of these things. And then you decided which direction you wanted to go in. Right. Um, and I, I really thrived in that. I, I enjoyed the structure of a, a, a management course and uh, progressed through the ranks, through the various levels of the company from junior manager to general manager to regional director and uh, they're an excellent company to work for. So how long did you work them for? Um, I worked for them for about 10 years and then they were subject to a series of takeovers. They were, uh, it was a profitable company, um, very good at generating cash and therefore they were taken over by different parent companies. Um, we had um, P&O, part of the P&O group, uh, for no particular reason. We didn't do the laundry for the boats or anything, but we were just good at generating cash and profits. And after that, the whole thing started to become less fun. Uh, it was then all about uh, uh, profit maximization and penny pinching is probably not the right way of putting it, but it became less about how do you produce a great product and service for a customer as opposed to how can you screw the last percentage out of either your customer, if you can't do that anymore, out of your employees. It just all became a bit more a bit more cynical and a bit less enjoyable as a career. But I had two kids and, and, a, and a mortgage, and therefore I stuck yeah. at it, as people do. I'm sensing that probably was going against your, your moral beliefs to a certain degree. Uh, it was partly that and partly that the culture of the company changed from one which was very supportive and creative and if you had an idea run with it and, and uh, went from that to a very top-down uh, structure where the person above you in the organization was always right 
and and you always had to do what they said. It was much more a corporate do as you're told thing, which which doesn't really suit mm. suit me at all. But then you know, as I say, mm. you 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 do what you need to do because you have responsibilities at that age absolutely so you're known for two things certainly from my point of view you are fake thackeray sort of the leading uh, tribute to jake thackeray uh, and we'll obviously talk about that in a moment and also um you look after some program management for festivals yes. with um, harmony voyages that's right um, that's of right. which i was uh, i i had my first experience of that a few months ago um with the costa festival in ibiza which was fantastic and so much so i've booked again uh, for next year but want to delve into those because how did you go from doing your full-time role, you know, and you're in a profit-making organisation, and how did you sort of fit in the music side of things? Let's talk about the Faith Thackeray side Faith Thackeray side. Um, I, well, I didn't really. The two things weren't really concurrent. I used to enjoy playing the guitar and doing what they call floor spots at, at folk clubs and things. Um, but whilst I was working, the idea of doing anything in music more than that just just hadn't occurred to me and so the very fortunate thing that happened to me was I was made redundant which at the time was not fortunate at all it was a complete disaster still had financial responsibilities still had kids at a, an independent school still had a, a mortgage um, Carol was working but we needed both wages and so being made redundant was sort of the end of my world really it was I couldn't really understand how this organisation that needed me for 20 years, all of a sudden, within 24 hours, could decide, no, you know, don't need you anymore. <laughs> you, you become from essential to, to, uh, to surplus to requirements overnight. And that, that, that really, really hit me very hard. And I had to sort of mentally regroup from that. And I talked to three or, was three or four people in your life whose opinions you really, really trust. And I talked to those and I said, look, this is what's happened. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in a little bit of a fish out of water, not sure what to do. And, and I found that process useful. I mean, it, the book I was reading at the time called it Networking, which, uh, uh, okay, is, is a thing. Um, I sort of called it talking to my contact and talking to the, the people I trust. And uh, out, out of that came uh, a process whereby I got another job um, and I'd... I'd, I'd set myself a, a, a target that I was going to get a better paid job than the previous one, just sort of, you know, to, just for spite. I just did. I thought, no, I'm not going to take the first thing that comes along. I've been guarded against that. Don't just jump in because you've got a mortgage. So I held back from that and I, I got a job with a 25% pay increase and I was already paid really well. So I, I sort of worked through with my contact an, an approach to do that and that was successful and that worked for about three years so again nothing nothing in the music yet but it was I was three years away from home I was in the Thames Valley wow. working four, uh, four or five nights away from home and uh, and that was that was lasted for three and a half years which was about three years more than <laughs> I, I, I expected um, but at that time that was around the time Jake Thackeray died that 2002 and had you I, been a big fan of him? Yeah, I'd been, been, been a fan. I'd seen him at our, our folk club in the Isle of Man as a, as a, as a teenager. That was um, to sort of go, go back to those years for a little bit. It was a very, when I look back on it, it was a very, very formative thing, this, this, this folk club, because the chap who, who set it up would bring over really entertaining, funny people. His, his idea of folk music was 
really entertaining and comedy as opposed to a traditional folk. So he would bring over people like Mike Harding, Jasper Carrot, uh, Bernard Wrigley, Tony Capstick, and Jake Thackeray. And we'd go, and I remember thinking, I was in awe, in absolute awe of somebody that could walk into a room full of strangers with a guitar and entertain them for two hours with, without notes and music stands and bits of paper. And I thought this was just fantastic. Anyway, move, move back forward now to 2002 when Jake died. And I'm away from home for four nights a week. And uh, I thought rather than just go to the pub every night, and, and uh, I'm going to try and learn each week a Jake Thackeray song. Because I'd realised after he died, there's a huge amount in his catalogue that was I didn't even realise was there. And I thought, right, I'm going to try and learn a Jake Thackeray song each week. And I'm going to go down to Maidenhead Folk Club. And Maidenhead was where the company was. I'm going to Maidenhead Folk Club and I'm going to, I'm going to inflict this song on them. They were a traditional folk club, but lovely, lovely people. And I'd oh yeah, here's John again with his Jake Thackeray song. Thank you very much. And I'd go along each week because you only know that you know a song when you do it in public. You, yeah. can, you can play it in your bedroom, uh, or, or, but you only know you know it. So that was my thing that I did for many weeks. I'd learn a song and go down to, to, to Maidenhead Folk Club. And then when that job came to an end, I went back to my contact, my network, networking, talking to the people whose opinion I trust, uh, had more conversations. And what came out of that, those conversations was, what is it you want to do now? You're mid-50s. What do you want to do as opposed to what you had to do? You know, the financial obligations were coming to an end. I'd done a couple of charity Jake Thackeray evenings, and they'd gone down extremely well. Uh, and I thought, well, actually, what I want to do is that. What I want to do is go back to my teenage years, to that folk club, when these people came in with a guitar and just entertained for two hours. You know, if you ask me, what do I want to do? That's what I want to do. Um, so just on that point, then, yeah. the, the financial side wasn't as much of a challenge. It was still a challenge, uh, but it wasn't critical. Right. By that stage... Uh, my second son was was through university. The mortgage wasn't paid off, but it wasn't massive. Carol uh, was working; she's an educational psychologist. She had a senior job there, so we could survive, you know, without the foreign holidays and stuff. But we could we could live and keep the house, and the kids were through school and university. Yeah. So 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 it was it was less of a pressure, but it still it was still a very significant impact on the household income to go from a well paid job to. I've got a good idea. Why don't I do a job that earns me absolutely nothing for the first year or so and maybe nothing at all in the future or maybe leads to something? You know, what do you think of that as an idea? And Carol didn't quite say, you must be mad. That was certainly the look in her eyes. But we, we, we talked it through as much as we could. I mean, it was a, it was a ridiculous idea. And so I don't know how you talk through a ridiculous idea, but I said, you know, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to uh, And then I went supportive as she has been for uh, 40 years. She said, well, okay, if that's what you want to do, then let's do that. But, you know, put, put a plan together. Yeah. You know, don't just, you know, so, so I put a plan together. I had to put together using the, the sort of business brain, how are you going to make this transition then from, somebody who's in a corporate structure, who's pretty much told what to do each day and the objectives they've got, to this very open, 
okay, I want to play the guitar and sing some song. Like, you know, how, how do you go from, from, from there to there? What was the biggest challenge that you, you faced in those first stages? Well, I knew the material, Jake's material was solid gold. So I was start. I had that advantage. If if I'd been starting off with the songs written by John Watterson, of which there are not many, but if I'd started off trying to make a name as me in the sort of folky world and the music industry, absolutely no chance. But I had the rock solid material of. Jake Thackeray, mm. to start with. And was there anybody else doing the t- tribute? Uh, there, I mean, I do have some, some friends and we meet up. We are all Jake Thackeray nerds and anoraks and, and we get together to do it as a, you know, as a group of, you know, and we call ourselves, you know, train spotters and stamp collectors. <laughs> we, we are Thackerites. And we get together and do it for fun. But nobody, nobody actually out there trying to charge people good money to come and listen yeah. to it. Uh, 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 no, nobody was doing that. I thought, well, okay, if I'm, I'm starting off a business here, let, let's put the business brain to it. And I, I went to a sort of, uh, sort of cliche marketing mix thing that's used in, in business, which is the four P's, the product, the place, the promotion, and the price. Okay, okay. Product, the material is great. If I could make a decent fist of it, I've got a, I've got a product which should sell. Price, well, I can do it for nothing in the early days until somebody comes along. So how do you promote this and, 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 and the place? And so my two main strategies that came out of that were, first of all, I would go to any folk club in the country, ideally somewhere that's not more than a couple of hours drive away, but if it was worth it, I would do it. And most folk clubs used to do something called a singer's night. So you go along and you, you do your two songs. So I would drive to Birmingham a couple of hours to a folk club. You're then waiting for a couple of hours while things happen. You play your two songs. You come home again. It's a sort of eight-hour round trip. Full day, basically. A full day to sing two songs at a folk club, which may or may not get listened to by somebody of any interest at all. And I, I did that for about a year. So there's a lot of petrol and a lot of time going out to these places to say, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Here's, here's these songs. Uh, to build up some market awareness to back to the back to the business terms. And the other thing I decided to do was to set up my own village hall concerts. So we've got a lovely little village hall here in Poppleton. And we set up something called Poppleton Live. Because one of the things I wanted to do was to be able to support bigger names. Right. Everybody wants to do that. You're starting off yeah. in music. You know, we'd all like to be on the same bill as the Rolling Stones or whatever yeah. genre of music you do. And so there's a huge amount of competition. So what I thought I'd do, I thought, okay, I will invite these bigger names to play in our village hall. Mm-hmm. I think enough contacts around the village to, to get people to buy a ticket and come along to the first few and see how it is. So I'm going to make it a really good night. Yeah. We're going to put on this person, going to put on sort of Vin Garbett or, 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 or Jeslo or... Um, various people in the folk world and I'm going to put them on and I decide who the support actor is going to be and guess what for the first few it's going to be me <laughs> it's going to be me and then I can say on my music CV on my website you know supported Vin Garbett supported so and so and so and it's all perfectly true and by doing that, you then get to know these people because you 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 book them with your promoter's that. hat on. Yeah, you're building you, that network. Yeah, and you, it's back to yeah. networking. It is it is really uh, back to networking. So the two real strands of of trying to get into the music was a lot of graft, mm-hmm. going out and doing stuff for nothing 
in order to try and get to get noticed yeah. and um, just applying this okay what's the product how can I promote it what's the place what's the price mm-hmm. and just constantly thinking of how do I get the word out there and really really dispiriting in the early days because you go somewhere you've driven a long way you do two fantastic Jake Thackeray songs and you do them to the best of your ability and you think it's great and then nothing comes of it and so you, you do it again and you do it again and where, where I, I was going to say I hit lucky you know, it's that cliche that if you work hard enough you make your own luck where I hit lucky I went to a little folk club down in Rotherham and um, there was a chap there called playing called uh, Anthony John Clark, who's become a, a very good friend since. And he was doing a little mini festival um, in a couple of weeks' time, and his support actor dropped out. I said, would you like to come and do the support? So now you're in front of six, 700 people. You buy invitation, you've got your own set. Yeah. Fantastic. So not only were there some people in that audience that thought, oh, this Jake Thackeray stuff's okay, uh, but also Anthony has contact with Fairport Convention and various other people. So within you know, a year and sorry, 18 months of just going around and doing these songs and doing these songs and getting nothing... Did this one, met Anthony John Clark. Within a month of that meeting, I got a call from Dave Pegg from Fairport Convention saying, oh, yeah, I used to like Jack Thackeray. He was a mate of, of the band. Uh, Anthony John says you do a really good job of it. Do you want to come and do our winter tour with us? And so I went from all that graft to, bang, you're now supporting Fairport Convention on a six-week tour around the UK. Fantastic. And you cannot believe how that felt. So what was the time scale between you starting to do the tours around the, the folk clubs yeah. um, and to actually doing the Fairport support? About two and a half, three years. Right. Yeah, so from, from scratch, very, very little happened for about two years. And then you got the call and then around doing, doing the Fairport thing. And I thought, ah, oh, there's something. There was, there was a sort of validation in it, you thought, ah, oh, yeah, okay, this is something. Yeah. This is something. It's not just me that thinks Jake's songs are great. Someone, Someone else out there has gone, hey, that's okay. And that, yeah, all of a sudden, after about two years of sort of knocking it, not against a brick wall, but, but putting that, putting all that groundwork in. Yeah. And a couple of years, somebody else goes, yeah, that, uh, that, 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 that works. Yeah, yeah, you can come and do that for us, that's sort of thing. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was lucky, but I had put an awful lot of work into it, and I... Yeah. I, you know, I think you know if you if you if you do that, then the cliche of making your own luck is 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 true. Absolutely, and that led to umpteen festivals, many things that you've yeah, done. Yeah, festivals and folk clubs yeah. and village halls. Yeah, yeah, I haven't actually counted, but there must be something like five hundred, five to six hundred gigs now um, wow. that I've done, and uh, it's 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 a little hobby that I thought would. <laughs> Would, you know, if it worked, it would last a couple of years, and then those people who remember Jake Thackeray would, would have listened to him, and they go, "Okay, that's great, we've heard that." Yeah. And yet, ten years later, it's it's still great. I'm still getting I'm still getting bookings, and still absolutely enjoying it. Well, before we met at the festival, I saw you supporting Jasper Carrot in, mm. in his Liverpool uh, gig, and I think the thing that stands out to me is there's, there's two things there. You've obviously got fantastic material um, from Jake yes. himself yep. um, that, to work with, but it's not going to work if you don't. Don't put it across in such a humorous way and it's you put your own stamp on it it's not that you are pretending to be Jake Thackeray you do it in your own way uh, but you know so you interpret the material that's interesting because because that, that, that I mean it's 
It's it's nice of you to say, and and interesting. That was a very deliberate part of when I when I was defining the product, mm. when I was doing my my marketing thinking. Mm. Um, I thought I I do not want to be what's called a tribute act, where you try and look like, dress like, Absolutely. and talk like. You know, I mean, the bootleg Beatles, bless them, are a fantastic tribute act, yeah. but they're in character yes. all the time, yeah. and they are John and Paul and George and Ring. You wouldn't recognise them walking down the road, and they're they're fantastic at doing. I thought no, I don't want to do that. What I want to do is is present Jake's songs, mm. but I don't want people to be judging the quality of some sort of impression. Mm. Inevitably. Because I've practiced his songs, listening to him on CD do them a million times, inevitably you pick up the intonation and it starts to sound like a bit of an impersonation and that's not what's intended. What's intended is getting the his timing right, getting the, all the intonations right, but doing it in my way. And then between songs, I don't try to be Jake Thackeray, talking between songs I talk about the man I talk about I mean I've now had the uh, uh, had eight, eight years researching and writing the, the the biography on Jake Thackeray so I've got a massive material that I can draw on to tell anecdotes people stuff people haven't heard you know if you're a Jake Thackeray fan you can come along to a show you hear the song but you also get little snippets about the man and his life yes. and his work that, that you, you you sort of can't get anywhere else it's not yeah. just song after song after song. And that's what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be, uh, okay, corny, but a celebration, yeah. uh, uh, my interpretation of Jake's songs, along with the talking bits. And in the talking bits, I can be me then. I can, mm. I can say what I like. I can talk about Jake. I can talk about the song. I can, I can you know, tell some sort of anecdote of, of my own. And that's where I can, I can play and do my own yeah. creativity. If you and that, that very much comes across. I think also, didn't you perform in front of his family? Yes. Well. Yeah, I have a, a, a few times now. Um, Jake's three sons are they're, they're private people, they're lovely people. I've got to, to, to know them a little bit, but they're very, very private mm. uh, and don't want to be sort of identified as you know the son of somebody famous, therefore you're sort of famous by default. They very much sort of stay in the background. Or something. Yeah. If they come to a gig, I would never say, oh, there's so-and-so over yeah. there. But it is a joy to have... One of them in one, or, or, or in one case, th- three of them uh, in the audience, because uh, they'll take the mickey out of me, something terrible afterwards, <laughs> and and they will tell me all the stuff I get wrong, and it's and it's and it's joyous, yeah. jo- 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 joyous to have them there. Scary, scary, because I remember when uh, one of the sons was 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 in the audience. There was this very complicated thing going on in my head where I'm singing a Jake Thackeray song. The audience are listening to me sing the song, but there's a son of Jake Thackeray watching the audience reaction to me singing a Jake Thackeray song. <laughs> and there's all that going through my head while I'm trying to remember all these words. You know, no, 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 just, just focus on the words, focus on the words. Different it, parts of your brain going, yeah, yeah, my, yeah, juggling around. But it is a joy, and they were extremely generous with the material to uh, to write the biography yeah. and, 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 and lovely, lovely people. There's probably quite a few people listening to this now, um, John, that uh, perhaps... You know, with the greatest respect, a little bit in later life, you get towards the end of your career, they've been musicians, they've had something, mm. and they think, I'd really like to make that into more than just a hobby. Having learned what you've done and you've been there and done it, and again, that, those two years, probably the doubts were cropping in, thinking, mm. is this going yeah, to, yeah. from yeah. what you've said? What advice would you give somebody who's in that position and thinking, I don't know, mid-late 50s, got the opportunity to develop their career as a musician, what, what advice would you give them? I guess 
and I, I get a lot of um, musicians now with my other hat on uh, approaching me. Is, is, is your product strong enough? Is, it, is, is, is what you do something that you could imagine 100 people paying 15 quid to come along to a venue and, and, and listen to? Uh, as I say, I had the advantage. I, I cheat. I, I stand on the shoulders of a giant and do that. But, but for people who are maybe doing their own stuff, I think that's a fiendishly difficult hurdle mm. to get over, you know, without, without getting into the, 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 the management speak. What, what's your unique selling point? Mine is Jake Thackeray, you know, and, uh, and that's what I sell. Yeah. Uh, so, so somebody who wanting to, to get in and make a living out of music, I think it's fiendishly difficult if you haven't got you know, something that people will go, wow, that's different. Yeah. Uh, have, having said that, if what somebody wanted to do was get into it as a paying hobby, uh, as opposed to making a living out of it, which I think is fiendishly difficult, I could only suggest doing what I do, which is, you know, put the hours in, just just get out there, make yourself know, but 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 go for it. You only get one shot at this. You only get you only get one go. So you know, if you think you've got something which some people ought to be listening to, and you think you've got the right to get on a stage in in, in front of people. Get out there somewhere to open mics, to folk clubs, to whatever. Put yourself out and about and talk to people and be prepared to take criticism. I've never been afraid of asking. I always ask for advice. You know, when I got made redundant, I would go to people. I would always ask for advice. And I, in my own head, I think, yeah, okay, but I reserve the right to ignore all of this. Mm. I don't have to take any of it. Choose your trusted advisors. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and um Take advice and take criticism. Yeah. Um, but I do think trying to make a living out of music, whether you're young or in later life, is is fiendishly difficult unless you've got some sort of uh, some factor, X factor, some something that somebody would look at on YouTube and go, "Hey, that's interesting," mm. you know. And so. Yeah. But I don't know. Is, yeah. that, is that advice? Is that rambling? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned four P's before. For yes. Just remind us what those are for the, What's the product. People don't know. So is, 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 is the product strong enough? Promotion. Where are you going to promote it? How are you going to let people know what you do? Yeah. Um, the place. Where are you going to do that? Are you going to start something off in your local village and bring people on? Are you going to get out your car and and drive uh, a million miles to get somewhere? And uh, price, you know, are you, are you prepared? You know, uh, wh where do you think it should be priced when you're starting off? Mm -hmm. Where do you think it should be priced once you've established it? Can you see yourself, say, yeah, charging 15 quid ahead to 100 people to come and listen to you? Yeah. So, okay. yeah, product, promotion, place, and, price. and the other one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what most resonated with me in that part of the discussion was that if you've had a career working full-time in an organisation and have the opportunity, be it financial or time-related, to develop your hobby into a small business career, two things. A, do it, because we only have one shot of this in life. And B, don't underestimate the variety of skills that you've learnt in business that can help you plan out your approach. However, careful business planning is key. John's use of the four P's of marketing, product, price, place and promotion was great to see and it's one of the many models out there that can help you define your definition of success. If, for example, you decided to become a performing musician, what would your unique selling point or USP be? 
That's what promoters would want to hear from you and be able to identify in your work. There's a lot of support available online and in various self-help books to help you plan your approach to this. It was also really interesting to hear how John developed his love of Jake Thackeray's work and especially how his nerve-wracking performances in front of Jake's family earned their respect to the degree that they trusted him with personal material that would help him write Jake's biography. A link to John's site, fakethackery.com, is in the show notes if you'd like to find out more. Make sure you subscribe to or follow the series wherever you get your pods to be notified of the next episode if you haven't done that already. And in that episode, John takes us through his role as a programme director for music festivals. If you've ever wondered how programming a festival works, or perhaps even fancy having a go at putting on your own local concert series, then don't miss the next episode. I shall also be revealing some very special news of my own, having listened to a lot of the advice from my guests in this series. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Until the next episode, bye for now. Thank you.